Before we get into the show, I want to apologize that the audio quality for this episode is not up to our regular standards. We had particular difficulty with the Skype recording this time around, and you'll hear some distortion in David's voice as well as the occasional pop. Uh, Unfortunately, there was nothing that we could do, although we did try to minimize this as much as possible throughout the recording. I hope that you'll agree with me that the recording is still very listenable, and that in this case the content is worth the slight loss in quality. Without further ado, Mac Power Users, Episode 15, Scrivener. This is David Sparks. Along with me today is Katie Floyd. How are you doing, Katie? I'm good, David. How are you? I'm doing great. And today we are going to be talking in more depth about an application we covered briefly in our word processing episode, Scrivener. This seems to be coming a uh, a habit. We tend to be doing more of these in-depth shows, and I think uh, a lot of people really like them. Hopefully, you know the uh, we talked. I talked about Scrivener and the word processing show. Went back and listened to it and. I was just kind of blathering on. I didn't really do a very good job of explaining how the application works and got quite a bit of email about it from users saying I didn't do it justice and from other people saying, you know, what the heck were you talking about? So we thought we'd go back and cover this one in depth. Well, and for those of you what the heck people, um, I can relate because I was one of those what the heck are you talking about people. I had never used Scrivener before and um, was aware of it from our word processing program, but had never used it. So I am a Scrivener newbie. I've dug into it enough to know the basics of the show, but um, David's uh, David's in the driver's seat on this one. Yeah, which is kind of neat because I've been using it for years, and so I'm used to all of its in- intricacies, you know, and uh, they're no problem to me because I've been using it for so long. And since you're new to it, I'm very curious to hear where you have troubles and what you like and dislike. So hopefully we can talk about that. But overall, I think there's just been a renaissance in word processing. And it's you would think that word processing is something that's so basic. We've been word processing on computers you know, since the computer was born. Why Why is this something that people, you know, still are struggling with? Or I guess the better question is, why is this something that the word processing manufacturers still haven't gotten right? I don't know if you would say they haven't got it right. I remember back in the day uh, when we all had competing operating systems, you know, Atari ST and Radio Shack and IBM and Apple. So there were all these different competing operating systems. Each one had 10 or 15 different word processors, there was a lot of interesting ideas being toyed with. And frankly, nobody knew what the standard was. So uh, everybody was creative coming up with interesting ideas. Then I think, you know, 10, 15 years ago, maybe even longer, we got into this rut with, you know, one or two very strong word processors. There was WordPerfect for the longest time, and then Microsoft Word kind of displaced that. And we got used to having this one word processor. And since I spend so much time writing and I'm not really a very big fan of Microsoft word, I don't hate it, but I just, I'm just not a very big fan of it either. Uh, it's really nice to see these independent developers coming out with word processors that have just, you know, completely different ideas about what it should be and what a complete feature set is and, and what a good user interface is. So that's all going on. And I don't really want to get into that again, but Rather, I'd like to talk about a program that's near and dear to my heart is Scrivener. And how it works is Scrivener is a writing tool. 
it's not the word processor that's supposed to be the end-all be-all for you. It's not supposed to do everything. In fact, it's really not supposed to do most things. It's just supposed to do one thing really well, and that is uh, research-based writing. It's interesting that you brought this up because this is, uh, for first, I think it's appropriate because this is the part of Scrivener that I think really took me a little while and I'm still not fully into it yet. But I always thought, okay, you've got a word processor, so you sit there and you type and you type all of your stuff out on there. Um, usually, maybe I'll outline something, maybe I'll brainstorm it, usually I'll doodle it on a legal pad and you know, have some thoughts and ideas, but by the time I actually get to the word processor, you know, I, I pretty much have an idea of what I'm going to write or at least kind of a framework for an outline that I dump everything in and then maybe start rearranging paragraphs. But but Scrivener really takes a step back from that and says, we want you to do your doodling and your outlining here. Yeah, it's really a writing tool. And it doesn't just exist for that final step of putting the pen to paper or the words to the screen. It exists for the planning and organizing and researching phase of your writing as well. Uh, you know, if you're going to put together a, a leaflet with a picture and, you know, do some intricate page layout, you know, Scrivener is not really going to do it for you. And if you just want to write a couple paragraphs of quick text to dash off with an email or something like that. Once again, I wouldn't use Scrivener. It's the wrong tool for that. But for the heavy-duty writing projects where you want to get it right, I think it's really the perfect tool. And uh, so I thought, what I thought I'd do is, is just talk about the people who use it, you know, maybe to start with. Um, it's, I think it was developed for novelists to begin with, you know, because it's got some really good story tools. It's got script writing tools if you're a screenwriter. Right. I, I know we've seen Scrivener quite a bit in the news. Was it November that was Nat Rima? Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe October. I don't, I don't remember. But recently we've gone through Nat Rima, and uh, that's the National Novel Writing Month. And the idea is that you sit down and you, you write so many words a day so that at the end of the month you've got a 50,000-word novel. And I guess the idea is everybody has at least one story in them. Yeah. And it's good for that because it's got tools, and we're going to get into the various tools it has, but it has specifically good tools for character, subplot development, all of those things that you need for writing fiction. But I think it's equally suited to nonfiction, uh, academics and students, uh, business and technical writing, uh, attorneys like you and I. Uh, it's just useful for really all types of writing. Uh, in my mind, the formula is writing plus research equals Scrivener. If it's something I'm going to spend any time planning, I'll go ahead and open a Scrivener project and write it in there. Okay, so maybe we should start from the beginning. You've got a memorandum of law, you've got a brief, you've got a term paper, you've got a thesis. Um, where do you begin with Scrivener? Because obviously you're supposed to open Scrivener before you get to the point where you're ready to start writing. Yeah, you open it up and... <laughs> It's not like a typical word processor where you just start typing and then at the save function is where you decide what it's going to be called and where it's going to be put. You actually create a project before you do anything. And I think that puts some people off, but it's really the safe approach when you think about it because your project is always already saved before you even start. But so you set up a project and you, you know, you put it wherever is convenient and wherever that folder is that you'd want to put that. And you start doing your research. You know, you start with an idea. And let's say for the sake of uh, this dialogue that we're going to be writing a college paper. 
then you're going to write a paper on, I don't know, global warming. So you, do, you open up a project in Scrivener, and in Scrivener, there's what they call the binder on the left side of the uh, screen. And the binder is split up on its most basic level uh, between your writing project and your research. And it's actually called draft and research. So you start out in the research tab and you can put pretty much anything into the research tab and, and you can open a series of what would, for lack of a better term, would be called pages that include that research. So if I'm doing global warming. I might go to a website that's got a really good write-up on the global warming and I'll copy the text in there as reference as a, as a single project. But I also may go and find some YouTube interview with a professor that's real famous and has some interesting thoughts on it. So I can copy that video, the video file into the research, a separate research tab. So I just start collecting things. You know, you can put in pictures, PDFs, uh, Word documents, text files, whatever. So you just start collecting your research. So your Scrivener project document itself, because this is not just a normal text file, can actually grow to be quite large depending on the types of research that you have in there, whether you've got video or audio, you know, in large resolution pictures. Yeah, I mean, it's not like your typical word processing file. It's actually your research plus your writing. And that's what makes it, that's one of the best things about it when you're doing intensive research or writing based on research, because now you've got all your resources in one place. I mean, now put yourself in a different picture. Let's say that you didn't have Scrivener and you were putting all these assets together in your computer. Well, maybe you've put them in a folder or maybe you've got some in Yojimbo and you've got some as uh, bookmarks in your web browser. And, you know, you're going to be jumping all over the place through different applications when you go to write. And the more of that jumping around you do, the harder it is to stay focused on writing well. And, you know, Scrivener really is there to help you on that process. And I know everyone has different writing styles, but for my purpose, I tend to find I don't like to jump around a lot between those multiple folders and those multiple types of, you know, web pages or YouTube videos or pictures or archives. So I end up printing out typically over and over again the same type of thing, running through with my highlighter, making notes in the margins, um, you know, putting tabs and shuffling papers in order. And it, it's just a chaotic mess on my desk. And then once I've got all that together, I start writing and refer to my notes. Well, using Scrivener, you could do that electronically. And since we're, you know, saving the planet with this, this paper, sure, it'd be even better that you did it without, you know, killing a tree in the process. So, you know, this all works out. So you can actually make annotations and highlights and bookmarks and notations in your research? Uh, not as easily as you can with a highlighter and a red pen. Sure. Um, you know, we've never really got there, but depending on the medium type, uh, you can. If it's a text file, obviously you can go in and you can type in, you can, you can highlight. And in fact, that's one of the bum wraps Scrivener gets is people think that you can't do any type of text formatting. In fact, you can do quite a bit. But so, you know, the research is there. And then uh, that's really the first step is to start collecting that, start reading it and uh, annotating it and starting to think about how you want to write the actual project. And that that takes place in the binder and the top half when what we call the draft folder. Okay. so after I've collected all this research, I've I've made my notations in the real world. Probably what I would do is I would sketch some kind of brief 
outline of what I was going to do. And Scrivener has that built in as well. Yes, it does. Uh, and before I get to that, just like when you're in the research tab, if you've got a project and you hit the inspector, it actually gives you a little white note card. Remember, I don't know if you're old enough to remember uh, using white yeah, note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And the thing about the note cards is you can put a title on it. You can put a synopsis of what that research is or what that information is. You can give it a color label. Uh, you can give it a status, like, you know, whether it's in draft or not draft or, you know, you can create labels. So you can get all, you can index these cards as many ways as you, you want to really. And then you can start developing your outline and Scrivener does have an outliner built into it. It's not quite Omni Outliner. I mean, Omni Outliner is quite a powerful outlining program, but it's it's good enough for organizing your your project. To be honest, I don't really use the outliner that much, but the way I like to to organize it is through the corkboard. Did you uh, try that out when you were playing? With I it? did, and it really is. A, it has the icon of note cards with titles, and you can put notes on it, and then you can pick these up and drag them around. Yeah, it kind of goes back for me to the old days. Uh, I used to literally use note cards up in the wall. I remember in law school, I used to have a, a blank wall with no pictures on it, and I'd just scotch tape them up to the wall and move them around. So I'm real comfortable with the way Scrivener sets this up. I mean, once you have the research, you can move the cards around. And actually, the cards are not just limited to the research. You can also use it when you're actually writing. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Right. I I. I get the cards, and I tell you, even though throughout elementary school, middle school, and high school, I was never a note card person. I mean, I know we always had those teachers who made us use the note cards and learn the note card format, but that never really worked for me. It was really more of a chore so that I could complete this part of the assignment, turn my note cards into the teacher, and what I would always do is outline and use my outline. So there are different options for people who have different writing styles. Yeah, you can do it either way. And it, it's all interactive. So you can drag the, the elements around in the outline and it'll move the elements around in your binder, your Scrivener binder. Um, there's a couple things about Scrivener that when you're bringing research in, uh, I found that generally uh, highly formatted Word documents sometimes run into trouble. And it's easier to just save the document as uh, RTF, right, text format. And it seems to come in easier when you do that. And the other thing I do is a lot of times I do copy and pasting because, uh, you know, one of the big secrets about lawyers is that we're all plagiarists. You know, we read these court cases that the judges write, and then we, we copy in quotes from the judge uh, in some case to help prove the point in our current case. So I'm always pulling snippets out of my research because one of my most common research items is a case. Right. Um, but if you have imported it with the format you got off the web and then you import it into your text file, then it screws the text up. So uh, one of the great tips in Scrivener is you can actually go and apply your standard formatting to research tabs or, or uh, draft tabs uh, after you import them. So I import everything in and then there's a command in Scrivener that allows you to go and I believe it's under the text menu where you can go and convert everything to uh, to the format that you've you've designated as the standard format. So then when you start blocking and copying around, it doesn't give you, you know, hiccups. And you can actually, uh, if I'm not mistaken, copy text off of web page, copy text out of documents and paste them into Scrivener as plain text, correct? 
Oh, yeah, easily. And they even have a service. That's what know, I figured. I was going to ask you what kind of little service or text expander snippet or, or the uh, launch bar command have you got set up to automatically dump yeah. things into Scrivener? Yeah, I use services. Uh, to be honest, I really like the, you know, going back to our launch bar episode, I really like the clipboard history function in launch bar. And I've got my clipboard history of like 30 items. So I will go through and clip multiple items and then go just drop them into various research tabs in the, um, in the Scrivener database by that way. It's, it's the fastest way that I've found. One of the more powerful features that I thought of Scrivener, and it tends to lend itself particularly well to uh, research topics or research papers or theses or, or things that have the same general themes that you're you're looking at over and over and over again, is this ability to keyword. And I think keywording and tagging uh, has become very popular in a lot of Mac applications of late. The keywording support is quite robust in Scrivener. You can keyword any element of your writing that you want. I know some people use it for characters and themes or sources or hypotheses. I don't use it so much because my writing projects don't usually get much over 30 or 40 pages. I think if you're writing a novel, however, that would be really critical to have something like that. See, I I think it could come in very handy for topics or ideas. Um, and if you have, you know, several topics, let's go back to your global warming example. If you're talking about greenhouse gases, if you're talking about hybrids and um, if you're talking about conservation and those are your three main topics of your paper, I could see where you would want to go in and, you know, depending on how you have the paper arranged, you know, keyword and, and specifically use those as specific keywords to cue you in and hone you in on, on specific things you want to talk about in, in those general areas. Yeah, that would be really helpful also if you have exhaustive research. I mean, if you've got just lots and lots of tabs of research, you're going to need some way to organize it, and that would be particularly helpful for that. One of my little tricks is in my research tab, I use the insert character menu to put in arrows uh, pointing up or down because, you know, a lot of work I do as legal briefing is we're looking, I'm looking at cases that may help or hurt my, my argument and I will rate the research as to whether or not it helps me or not. And that gives me a good way to find, okay, I need, now I need to find the case that gives negative treatment and explain why that's different. So I'll, I'll rate them with little arrows. You can have one pointing up, one pointing down, or sometimes I'll just use one pointing to the right if I believe it's neutral. And I'm sure there's other ways you could use that and other sources as well. So you've got your research. Everything is in Scrivener. Um, you've got your corkboard with your index cards or your outlines. And at what point do you actually start writing? Or can you start writing around your outlines or around your note cards if maybe you don't know exactly how you want to put it together yet? Yeah, you can do it in any order you really want. Uh, we've been talking thus far about the lower tab, the research tab. The top tab is the draft tab. And that one, you can't drag research into it. You actually create your actual word processing document in there. And the nice thing about the draft tab is it's not just one long document. I mean, for instance, if you write, if you write something in Microsoft Word or Pages, and let's say it's a 30-page document, and it may have an introduction and five or six points, and then a conclusion, and maybe some reference materials. That's all in one document. So you can't uh, really jump around very easily except for, you know, scroll willy and trying to blindly find where you're going. 
With Scrivener, you can create a separate draft tab for each one of those elements. And that's really where I do my outlining of my writing. I mean, once I've read my research, I start putting together little draft tabs. And sometimes they don't even have any text in them, but they're titled. And, you know, uh, for a legal brief, for instance, it always has an introduction and a closing. And it may have a statement of facts and, you know, the, the various pieces that you're going to put together. Sure. That would be true for a school paper or anything else. So I, in, in essence, start outlining that way. And those are what turn into my note cards that I can start arranging on the cork board. And these are little, I guess they could be little or big um, pages or snippets or pieces of paper or whatever you want to call them that you can just start focusing on individual sections of your paper. But then you can drag and drop and move and copy and paste in between them and connect them however they need to be connected, right? Yeah. You know, I write strangely. Um, I call it from the bones to the skin. When I write something, I usually start with the most dense piece first. You know, so if I'm making an argument, I start with the, the meat of the argument. After I do my research, that's, you know, fresh in my mind. And so I will write from the inside out. I guess that's a better way to put it. So uh, I've got all my points outlined more or less with the various drafts I have set up in Scrivener. And then I can just pick one and start writing in it. And whatever I'm most familiar with in the research or whatever I think is I need to really get my head on about before I go on to anything else. So very rarely do I start at the beginning and end at the end. In fact, usually I start in the middle, work my way to the end, and end at the beginning. Are you with me? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because in order to do your introduction and your conclusion, um, you know, at least the way that they taught us in law school, and I'm, I, I know a lot of English teachers have talked about, you tell them, this is what I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to wrap up with telling you what I told you. So you really I, can't I, tell them what you're going to tell them or what you told them until you tell them. I try to avoid talking too much law on this podcast because, you know, this is where I come to get away from the law. But there's a great lawyer named Jerry Spence, and he's a great trial lawyer. And he said once, if you can't summarize your case in two sentences, then you don't know it well enough. And I think that's true for just about anything you write. So that's why I always pride myself on writing my introduction as the very last thing I do. It makes sense because by then, hopefully, you know what you're talking about. Yeah. So the, these draft um, tabs can be very small. Sometimes I have a draft tab that'll have seven or eight paragraphs in it. Sometimes I'll have one that has two or three sentences in it. But for me, the physical process of having them separated in the document allows me to focus on them. So I can say, okay, I want to go look at that point in real detail. And how did I make it? And where did I repeat myself? And where can I make that tighter? And when you've got everything in one big document, I find it kind of overwhelming. But when you break it into these little bite-sized pieces, I find that my writing gets a lot tighter and I really scrutinize every piece of it. And I say, okay, this paragraph is following in this point of my draft. And does it support that? And if it doesn't, do I need this point? You know, and then you pull up the note cards and you start moving around deciding, well, wait a second, I can put this later. And uh, getting back to the legal writing, because I so much do so much of it, I even put the analysis of separate cases in separate, separate draft tabs. And that gives me the freedom later to say, okay, I'm going to cut that. I don't need that. You know? So it's, it's really helpful to me to have the, all that stuff broken up into these various pieces. And I just... I just couldn't beat it. I mean, once I got into using Scrivener, I could never go back. One of the things that I thought was most interesting is because a lot of the times 
I at least have this problem where you have a framework in your head for how this particular paper, this research, this piece is going to work. And then you lay it out that way. But then as you get into it and you reread it and you revise it, you realize that you need to make changes to what to the flow that you initially thought that you were going to have. And uh, maybe you need to revise your arguments. Maybe you need to lose arguments altogether because they are, they're not as strong as you once thought that they were. Um, but Scrivener lets you very free-flowedly um, edit and rearrange things. And, you know, you talked about this in terms of little bite-sized pieces. Um, if you start adding too much meat to one of those little bite-sized pieces that it starts getting uh, uncontrollable or, or more difficult and you need to break it back down again, uh, you can do that. You can grow something and then break it back down again into multiple pieces and, and then group them together. Yeah, and Scrivener, if you're in a big section and all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, I'm making three points here, not one, you just hit Command-K and it, it clips it and it creates another draft section right where your cursor is. So it's very easy to break one section up into three sections. Uh, it's you know, just really, I think, a great way to write. And another nice part of this is that since your research is attached in the same application, it's very easy to go back to your research and kind of pull things together. Or you can even, in Scrivener, open multiple panes. So uh, if you want, you can you know, fill your screen with Scrivener. On the left side, you can have a, a pane of research that, uh, with a tab that you've pulled from the website or the video of the guy talking about global warming. And then on the right side, you can have a pane where you're writing about some concept that he's saying. So you can literally have it playing on your screen as you're writing on the right side. So it's really nice being able to reference materials without having to jump around between applications or spaces. I mean, it's all right in front of you. One of the things that was difficult for me to grasp at first, I really liked this way that I could organize things into these little chunks and then rearrange all the chunks. Um, but at first it felt very disjointed to me in terms of how am I going to get all these pieces back together? Okay. And that's kind of the, about the export, you know, what are we going to do with it when we're done? And Hang in there with me. I think we'll talk about that as we get further down the outline. Okay. But I can understand how it's a little intimidating because you're saying, well, wait a second, I've got all these pieces. In Microsoft Word, it's really easy. I hit print and you know everything comes out. But Scrivener, I've got all this stuff in here and what am I going to do with it all? But um, that takes a little getting used to. But once you figure it out, it's not really a problem. Okay. Uh, so, you know, writing in chunks is really nice. And I think Scrivener really encourages you to do that. And even if you don't want to buy Scrivener, I really encourage you to find a way. If you break it up with page breaks or something in, in pages, there's ways to do this uh, on another application. But Scrivener really makes it easy for you. You don't have to scroll to find your place. You can easily move sections around. And uh, I think it just encourages better, tighter writing. Uh, you can also use your labels. You know, we talked about labels for the research. You can also label and color code your draft sections. So uh, sometimes I will label and color code sections that need more work or sections that I'm not sure I want to keep or not. Uh, so there's a lot of ways you can do it. And it's just all very visual. So uh, you can even like tag sections as unfinished or first draft. Uh, that way you can go back and say, okay, I want to look at everything that's just on the first draft. I liked this feature too, because I find when I'm using something like Microsoft Word or WordPerfect, 
I will tend to leave myself a lot of notes inside the body of what I'm writing because I'm on a roll. I've got a particular topic that I'm tackling and um, I'll come to something and I'll say, mm, I probably need to find better attribution for that. Or I, I know that this is true. I've read this somewhere, but I'm not exactly sure where I read it, but I don't want to stop. So I'll write myself a note, you know, like in bold letters, need to find site for this and continue on. Yeah. And you can even, uh, you know, rather than the way we do it in Microsoft Word is where you put all caps and then turn on the highlighter and leave this big message because everybody's afraid. And say, please don't let me print this out and give it to somebody looking like this. Yeah, give it to a guy in a black robe or give it to a professor or somebody and it's got this big note in it, and which not only demonstrates that you didn't do the follow-up that you didn't even proofread. (laughs) So uh, you can actually code that into Scrivener. So uh, the only people that see that is the people operating the application, which is... Probably a good thing. Right. Um, you can also, you know, link inside of the document as well as the research, which is, is pretty nice if you want to be able to jump back to it. Um, I don't use that feature so much. I try to keep everything in my research tab. I mean, the whole idea is to have everything in one place. So would this but, kind of work? I didn't really get linking, but I, I think if I change the word and make it bookmarks, does that kind of describe what it does? Yeah, it does. Okay. But, but it's already in the research tab, too. It's just another way to work. But I think if you're really going to embrace Scrivener, you need to try and work entirely within it. You know, just spend the time to get your research tab set up and, and just go for it. One of the things that we saw featured in the new version of Pages was this whole full screen, you know, blackout view. And I just thought it was funny that Phil, I think it was Phil who gave the keynote at that point, made such a big deal of, this is one of our most requested features because people get so distracted, they just want to black out their screen and focus on their writing. And I I remember I chuckled a little bit. I was like, you know what, can people not actually turn off their Twitters and turn off their email and, you know, sit down and focus on their writing without going, ooh, shiny thing over there, got to go look at that. Um, but I, it does, it does help because I do find myself getting more and more distracted by things. Katie, it's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) You you get distracted by the shinies too. Oh, totally. I mean, you know, everybody says, wow, you're so disciplined that you don't, you only check your email three times a day. I'm like, it's not that I can't do that. It's just that I know myself. I know that if I put that little badge on in the email that, I won't be able to risk if I put a Tweety up. So it turns, you know, the icon turns blue every time a message comes up that is sent to me that I know I will stop whatever I'm doing. I, it's not that I'm disciplined. It's that I know how weak I am. I remember when I was studying for the bar, I found the deepest, darkest corner of the library. We had campus wide Wi-Fi where the Wi-Fi wasn't reliable. And that's where I studied because like you said, I knew myself, I was, I was too apt to check my email or something. Yeah, my uh, my father had recently passed away, so I had moved in with my mother to stay at the bar. It's totally irrelevant. <laughs> so just fast forward 30 seconds. But so I, there was this room in my mother's house that I studied, and I, I studied and studied and studied. We were going to get married um, like three weeks after the results come out. You so and I your wife, not, not you and your mother, just to clarify. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry. I was engaged. My wife and I had planned to be married three weeks after the bar results came out. So there was no way I was going to fail that because I didn't want all my friends to say, hey, I heard you failed the bar. So. So I just like did nothing but study for like four months. And to this day, when I go in that room, I get uncomfortable. (laughs) But I did pass and the wedding was fun and we all lived happily ever after. Oh, there you go. That's what's important. Um, And you learn not to distract yourself. 
Not really, but I learned how weak I am. Okay. And that was uh, before we had a lot of these distractions. But anyway, so uh, I've always been a fan of the the whole page writing um, right room. I always thought it was a great application. I was one of the first to do that. Um, Even on Windows side, uh, Microsoft Word has a, a mode where it's full screen, which I think is nice. It's no distractions. But Scrivener had the full screen mode long before my, uh, Apple's Pages did. And uh, it's interesting because with Scrivener, it's a little bit customizable and it's really clean. I mean, I just like the way it looks. Screen turns black. The built-in font that they use is really good. Um, you can adjust it, uh, the settings to change the colors if you want to make it look different. And you can even add some elements of your research and other pieces of Scrivener to it if you would like to have them, but you don't have to. And uh, once again, if the screen just goes blank on you and you've just got that one little section that you're working on in front of you, it makes it so much easier to really focus on every word in that section and every sentence and, you know, ask yourself, how important is this and how does this help what I'm trying to do? And at the end of the day, I think you have a better product. So uh, the full screen mode is a very uh, good benefit and uh, I think it's a great use uh, in Scrivener. One of my first criticisms of Scrivener, which after giving it some thought, I think really turns out not to be such a big deal or a criticism after all, is that when you are in the word processing mode, so to speak, of Scrivener, you're not researching, you're not editing, you're actually writing, it seems to be a very overly simplistic word processor. You can center, you can left, you can write, you can bold, you can italic, you can underline, but you can't do all of the fancy things that you can do in Word. And I think at first this put me back a little bit. And I was like, well, you know, what do you mean I can't do this header and this footer and this, you know, uh, equation and blah, blah, blah. But then I, I sort of came to realize, well, we really don't use a lot of that stuff anyway. And I do have access to the features that matter. Yeah. Scrivener is a step in your writing. It's not the final step. And that's kind of the thing that people have to wrap their head around. It's got the basic text functions, like you said, bold, underline, italic. You can highlight. Um, you can do footnotes, but they they appear in line. You don't actually see right, which, like in which Microsoft Word or bugs pages. me a little bit, but yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I've kind of grown used to it now. I I like having them right there because then it allows me to kind of once again get that flow going and see how well a footnote footnote really fits with what I'm talking about. But it doesn't. It's not a page layout program. It it doesn't allow you to get that whole page view. It's, it's a program that's all about words and not about layout. And so that's, once you get done writing, we're going to talk about export. And I want to just talk about a few more points about the, the process of writing in Scrivener before we get there. But right. I completely understand where you're coming from, and I know why that puts a lot of people off. Well, and then the thing is, you know, we're all trained in school where the teacher says, you know, this has to be 5,000 words, or this has to be no fewer than 10 pages. And it's like, well, geez, in Scrivener, how do I know, you know, if I've met that goal and I can finally stop writing because I've said what I had to say and, you know, I've, I've met my teacher's goal for lack of a, um, you know, better thought. But it, there are ways to do this, but it's different than what you would be used to in Word where you would say have a, a page view and be able to tell exactly where you are on a page of a document. Yeah, and that's because of that benefit of breaking your your document into little tiny pieces. But by selecting multiple items, it it does have running statistics of characters, words, paragraphs, pages, all that stuff. 
but it works a little differently because once again, you're, you've broken your document into little pieces. Uh, when you work in full screen, um, you see whatever is on your screen, you get the page count for that. There's another button in Scrivener called Edit Scrivenings, and that's a really important button because sometimes you may want to look at, let's say you have four or five pieces that create one argument in your case or one point in your research paper. You can select those five and then click Edit Scrivenings, and it'll put all five of them on your screen at once. And then if you'd like, you can hit full screen and you can have your full screen view for that entire argument, which kind of gives you a way to look at, okay, now I've taken care of each of the individual pieces. Now let me see how everything flows together and, you know, what's the transitions. And so that's, it's a little different, you know, whereas in Word or Pages, that would all just be there and you'd be scrolling through it. And Scrivener, you actually create what it is you're going to see in any editing section. And I know that would put people off, but frankly, I think it's great because once again, it allows me to focus on just the piece that I'm working on and not get distracted with all the other gobbledygook on my screen. So I find it really helpful. Um, I guess some people won't, you know. So another feature of Scrivener is snapshots. And I think this is probably best described as time machine, if you want to use another Apple analogy, where you can, you know, take a snapshot, preserve it, and then, you know, wipe it out and go down a completely different rabbit hole with your argument. And then if you decide that that doesn't work, you can come back and revert to your snapshot and maybe go back in a completely different direction. Do you use this much in your writing? Sadly, yes. Okay. No, really, I, you know, sometimes you start writing and you, uh, you know, one of the things that I find as a writer is you really have to have the the stones to look at something and say, well, that sounded like a great idea when I wrote it, but now I realize it's complete rubbish. And that happens to me often, you know, you have a great idea, but it just doesn't work out for one reason or another. You need to go back and start over. And sad to say, sometimes you go and start over and realize, well, maybe it wasn't so bad to begin with. Uh, so. Yeah. Because you can waste <laughs> hours and hours writing and rewriting only to figure out you were on the right track two days ago and have completely lost what you were doing. Yeah. So using the snapshot uh, feature in Scrivener, it's really easy to go back and you can save multiple changes. In fact, one of the nice features in Scrivener is when you go back to restore a previous version, it allows you to, it, it prompts you to take a snapshot of the version you're about to replace. So then if you flip your mind again and decide to go back, the program was smart enough to help you save that as well. And, uh, and then it's just text. Are you able to go back and do a hybrid and say, take the best of both worlds? You know, I liked what, you know, the rabbit hole that I'd gone down this day with this particular argument, but I like this newer one better on this other different argument and grab those snippets and pull them back together from different snapshots. Well, sort of what I would do is I'd restore one and then I'd block and copy that into a new tab. And then I would restore the other one, and then I'd be able to combine them. Which is really where these these tabs come in handy, because you can restore individual tabs, right? Yeah, and you can snapshot individual tabs. Right. You don't have to snapshot the whole document. You can just snapshot the, the part you're about to destroy. Right. So it actually works to your your benefit to have them broken up into more succinct chunks or tabs. Yeah, you know, so I've talked about the research, uh, you know, and putting together your research in Scrivener, which is nice. And, you know, frankly, if you're creative, you can find a lot of ways to store and, and track your research. 
but uh, I find it very convenient doing it in Scrivener. But when you combine that with the writing tools and just the whole mentality of Scrivener of breaking your writing into little pieces, being able to, you know, black out your screen and focus on one important paragraph, I just think it's a really powerful tool. Um, I know that it's, you know, used as a text uh, engine and a lot of people type on it. I also use it for dictation. I use Max Beach Dictate sometimes. It dictates straight into it, and it works just fine for that as well. Yeah, I was very pleased when I opened up uh, Max Beach Dictate and started dictating into Scrivener. It, it seemed to work very fluidly, and I guess I didn't really expect it to do any different because Max Beach Dictate will work in just about any text program. Yeah, but it, what's really nice is if you'll have your dictation window open as one pane and your research in the other pane, so you can be reading from your research and then dictating straight into oh, that's the cheating. other pane. It's, uh, it works. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'm not above it. I'm not above it. No, it's like copying. Yeah. I love it. Well, I wouldn't use it that way, but, you know, speak for yourself. Yeah. Well, I mean, not like copying, like in a in a bad way, but you know, <laughs> you know, not not having to type and read and you know at the same time, because you know sometimes multitasking doesn't work so well. Oh, I could tell you stories. Anyway, uh, so once you've got your masterpiece done, you know, you've got your research organized, you've written the draft, and you've got all your tabs, and you've proofread them, and you've decided they're ready for prime time. Uh, that's where people start hitting roadblocks with Scrivener because they don't know what to do with it. Um, yeah, and that was my big concern going in. And I, I was a little concerned about, okay, I've got everything in these chunks, but at the end of the day, I have to get this to the professor, get this to the judge, you know, get this to my senior partner, get this to something. And if I hand them a flash drive or a DVD with a Scrivener file on it, they're going to look at me like I've got, you know, three heads. Yeah. It's not that hard. There, you know, the easiest way you could do it is you could just hit edit scrivenings for all of your draft tabs, uh, select all and copy it and paste it into, you know, Microsoft Word or Pages or whatever you want to use to for, uh, to do your page layout in. Um, but it also, I prefer to use the, uh, the uh, compile draft uh, function in Scrivener under the file menu. There's an item called compile draft and you open that up. And it's great. It gives you uh, little checkboxes. You can pick specifically which draft sections you want to export. It gives you options. Um, you can actually change the formatting. So you can like change italics to underlines if, if your editing requires that. Um, you can export it in a numerous formats, you know, RTF, Microsoft Word, the, you know, the Microsoft DocX format that they're now using. Um, it supports HTML, Web Archive, Multi-Markdown, and Final Draft, which is a great uh, screenwriting program. So just about any means you would need to use this in, you can do that. What I often do with Scrivener, if it's something uh, of any length, I'll export it as Microsoft Word and email it to my uh, paralegal who has a you know uh, Microsoft Windows and Microsoft Word on her screen. And then she opens it and does the formatting and puts it into pleadings or whatever I need. Uh, if it's something for me to work on, I will export it as RTF and just drop it into uh, Apple's pages and work on it from there. And how much time, and I, I know it varies depending on the length of the document, but once you're done putting it together and writing it in Scrivener, how much time or what percentage of time do you need to plan on editing this? Because 
I mean, obviously you're going to want to give it one final read through. And since you're not actually using your Scrivener copy as your final version, um, you know, I'm sure there's some tweaking and, and some formatting that has to be done. And I would be concerned that, you know, aren't I kind of doing the work twice if I've got to get it out of Scrivener and then all of a sudden reformat it for this new program? Uh, you know, the reformatting isn't too difficult. I mean, you just put it in. And uh, I guess if you want to change headings or things like that, you can. That's what really those programs are for. But I don't really spend a lot of time on it at that point. I've done my edits in Scrivener. I usually do one final proofread, and uh, then I let it go. Right. Cool. Fly, little birdie, fly. So one of my concerns about Scrivener is it, it seems to be a great tool for an individual to put together something. Um, but the reality is we do have to collaborate with other people in, uh, in our work and in our other daily life. How can you use Scrivener in a collaborative way? And is it possible for multiple people to work on a document? Do you ever throw a Scrivener file in a Dropbox and let multiple people edit it? Or is that just getting into too much chaos? Uh, it's a package file, so I would be a little leery of that. But you know, now that I think about it, all my Scrivener files are going through Dropbox when I'm working on them, and I've never had a problem. So I guess you could have multiple authors opening it up. But really for uh, it to be meaningful, obviously, they would have to be using Scrivener and using the Scrivener system. Yeah, it's not, you know, it doesn't have a track changes function or any of the things that normally collaborative writing would require. I think the way I would deal with that is um, if I'm on a team writing something, and to be honest, I'm never on a no, team writing No, it happens rarely. Yeah, but, but but occasionally, were, you know, for example, with a research paper or, or getting back to a more academic example, sometimes you do have to, along different parts of the way, turn in different drafts to the professor at different times of different things. And at that point, it sounds like you're exporting them every time. Yeah, you are. Okay. And, uh, and what I was going to say is if I was on a team, I would write my portion of it in Scrivener and then at that point send it out to Word or Pages. And from then on, I would be out of Scrivener. Okay. So... There's some other tools in Scrivener that I find really useful. They allow you to create templates. And one of the really nice things about this, if you write repeated types of documents, you can have your draft tab set up. And if you use repeated research, you can also um, have those set up. Uh, one of the things I do is certain contracts I write and certain pleadings that I file, a lot of times have some standard boilerplate text. I have created templates, like, for instance, jury instructions. I have created templates, and in them, I have a research tab for each one of the California-recognized uh, jury instructions that are relevant to my practice. So when I need to prepare a set of jury instructions for a case, I just open that template, and then I can just start dragging the instructions up to the draft tabs, and it makes it really easy. Well, that sounds like cheating, too. Yeah, it is. That, I think, is cheating, but it's worth it. You know, so uh, you can it's, if you get creative with the templates, you can you can do a lot of interesting things, especially if you write repeated similar projects. Uh, and uh, that's just great because, you know, once again, all the research is built. You don't even have to spend the time setting it up. And then if you ever want to get your research out of Scrivener, um, you know, let's say you're done with a particular project, but you do want to archive the research in something other than Scrivener in case you ever need to come back to it. Is it easy to get your research out? Uh, you could print it out or block and copy it out. It's not particularly easy. 
I just haven't, I haven't had much need for that. I'm, I'm usually pretty happy once I'm done with it. You know, I save the file, and if I need it, I can go back into the file. Oh, my concern, and, and this is nothing against Scrivener in general, is that I typically am very leery of proprietary programs where I may get stuck one day with my stuff stuck in there and me not be able to access it. Yeah. So... Well, cool. I can see definitely the value of Scrivener. I guess the one thing about Scrivener, as with so many of these programs, is it's really not something you can just immediately pick up and start working in and be uber productive. You you really do, like LaunchBar or like any of some of the more specialized apps that we've talked about, you have to put the time into developing a system sticking with that system and then the more time you put into it and into researching and into organizing once you get the knack of it you are going to get that time back in terms of productivity you know what it is i I figured it out i think i'm a software masochist i think that's probably true yeah you know like i love omnifocus and launch bar and scrivener i like these things you have to really dig into but I don't want to overstate that you really can start getting some immediate benefits if you start looking at it and uh, however, if you spend probably an hour just making sure you're familiar with all the tools, uh, you will get that hour back really quickly. Um, you know, a- a- an interesting thing about Scrivener, I mean, it's 40 bucks. I mean, it's half the price of iWork. It's what maybe, a, you know, a fraction of the cost is the Microsoft Office. And it's just a great tool to make you write better. And the, one of the cool things about Scrivener is that they actually give you a full 30-day demo. So you can actually dive into it and use it for 30 full days, not necessarily 30 consecutive days. Yeah, if you use it for 29 days between January and December, you still have one day left. But you know what? I Honestly, if you use it for one project, I think you'll probably get hooked and just pay them the 40 bucks. Right. I did. And they do run specials from time to time. I saw they had a Not No Rymo special, and um, I think you can even follow them on Twitter and, and some of the other social networking sites and, and pick up some tips and, and maybe some discounts along the way. Yeah, the uh, website is literatureandlatte.com, and they're starting to uh, address the, the learning curve, and they put up some really great videos on their website. So if you want to look at Scrivener, I mean, maybe one thing I would recommend is just go watch some of the developer-created videos. Right. Um, they also have a YouTube channel. My guess is they probably share a lot of the same videos. Yeah, it's the same content, I'm pretty sure. Okay. But uh, it's just it's just really nice, you know. Uh, we, we got a, a couple notes from uh, one of our favorite readers, who's also an attorney. And we actually, she was considering coming on the show, Landia, but she... Uh, we thought that three lawyers talking about a writing program would just be overwhelming. Oh my gosh, everyone would unsubscribe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but she had pointed out to um, she had made reference to a uh, the Twilight Art book where they talk about the creative habit and the the dumping ground box. You know, where if you have a project, you dump everything that relates to that project into this box, and that's a really good analogy because that's what Scrivener is. It, it gives you that everything box for your immediate project. Cool. So, David, wrap us up. Why do you use it over other things? Why should other people give it a try? Because it makes my writing look spectacular. You know, it gets the most out of me. I mean, at that point, whenever I've done writing in Scrivener, I've given it all I have. You know, I've 
I've bled on the table. There's nothing left. So if if the writing still sucks, it's it's just that I suck. <laughs> you know, where I write in Microsoft Word and Pages sometimes, it's just it's just not as efficient and I just it just doesn't force me to ask the questions that, that Scrivener does and it doesn't make the writing as tight or as good. So, you know, I just think it it's a tool that makes you a better writer, which is so much more than what a word processor does. So keeping on this theme of dumping all of our information in a box, I think our next show is going to be exactly on that topic, although we're going to be a little more broad, so not quite as specialized. But we are finally going to address all of these information manager programs that are out there and what we use them for and what we do with all of our stuff that just doesn't seem to have a place anywhere else on our Mac. Yes, and uh, I'm so uh, certain of myself with Scrivener, whereas when it comes to these information managers, I'm flaky. So I'm looking forward to doing that episode. So uh, examples of these types of information managers would be things like Evernote, Yojimbo, uh, Notebook. And I think we're going to be looking at all three of those apps and, and possibly some more as well. Yes. So if you have any recommendations or any ideas of these these broad category information type apps that we need to look at, uh, please shoot us an email, feedback at MacPowerUsers.com, and let us know, because I'm sure there are many more out there than we're aware of. Yeah. And uh, that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to researching that show, because maybe it'll help me get my act together. Yeah, I'm looking bit. forward to figuring out what my my main information manager app is. I, I think I've settled on Evernote, but we'll see. Yeah, and see, now I'm leaning towards Yojimbo, so that'll be fun. Okay, so maybe we'll we'll have like a mini smackdown. Yeah. Now, we also got some feedback from our last show. Well, actually, one thing I wanted to add, going back to the OmniFocus um, issue, uh, one, one thing we didn't address in that, I did it with a follow-up blog post, and we've got a, a bit of email on this, is recurring lists. Uh, for recurring lists, I don't use OmniFocus, and I just don't think either any of those applications really are that good for that purpose. So I use a little app called ZenbyList, like if, you know, the grocery list or the packing list to grandma's house and things like that. Uh, uh, sometimes I don't think you need to use a high powered task management application just to manage lists. And uh, so I, I posted on that. We got a email from reader Rui uh, talking about um, some other applications he uses for that, uh, for the same reason. Going back to our buying and selling a Mac episode, we got some great feedback that just made me smack my head and say, didn't we talk about that? Why didn't we talk about that? Um, but one of the tips that we got from Terry was before you sell your Mac uh, or transfer your data off your old Mac to your new Mac, you need to deauthorize a lot of these activated type programs. So that would include deauthorize your iTunes account, deauthorize Audible, deauthorize uh, if you have an Adobe application that requires activation and you only have so many activation codes, I know there are several applications out there that use that type of uh, digital rights management. So you definitely want to make sure that you go through and make sure that all of that stuff is deauthorized before you, you get rid of your Mac. Because once you've erased that disk, it's very difficult to go back and, and deauthorize something that's now gone. Yeah, that was kind of a head smacker. I mean, we spend a lot of time on the outlines for these shows, and I can't believe that we both missed that one. Oh, well, there was another one we missed that we'll get to. Um, uh, also, I'm eating crow. Uh, yeah, I think the, I'm right there with you. On the iMac laptop question. Uh, you know, because I, 
in that show, we've talked about buying and selling a Mac. I was very defensive of the iMac because I just think it's such a great product. And, and I was telling everybody, hey, you know, look really closely. Do you really need a laptop? And uh, reader uh, Donald wrote in with some just great points about, you know, how, you know, laptops are so much more reliable than they used to be. They're not that expensive. And, uh, you know, don't write off the laptop either. And, you know, I have to be honest, I have both, so I'm kind of spoiled. Well, and this is one that I probably should have addressed better because I have only a laptop. Unlike you, I don't use multiple Macs and I don't have an iMac for my desk because I don't like going back and forth between multiple Macs. So all I use is a MacBook Pro. And I guess the point that, that I was trying to make, and I apologize if this didn't come across, is you can typically get more bang for your buck buying a desktop over a laptop. And I, I think that's uh, a pretty true statement that you can prove through research and looking at the prices and specs. And a lot of people, I think, have these grandiose plans of, oh, I'm going to take this laptop with me and I'm going to travel with it and all of this stuff and it will be great. And then in the four or five years that they've owned the computer, it has never moved off the spot in their desk. And in that case, they would have been so much better buying an iMac because they would have gotten more bang. They probably would have paid less for it. And they'd have this big, beautiful, big, beautiful screen. screen. Yeah. So anyway, you know, so I, this- I, yeah, I, I just more so meant it as, you know, really step back and look at your lifestyle and look and see, am I really going to travel with this? Am I going to really need to move it from room to room and, 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 you know, just one of the many factors to consider. Yeah. And then we had a, a reader, Michael, write in, and we kind of dissed the big box stores. Yeah, you know, we saying did. You should buy it at, at the Apple store. And uh, he made a really good point. I mean, some of these big box stores have really good deals, you know, with money off and no interest financing for a year or two. And he got a good deal at Best Buy. So that's true. I mean, keep your eyes open. I mean, if you can get it. If you want to finance it and you can get two years without paying any interest, you may want to go there. Well, and, you know, Black Friday, I know I know, we just passed it. We probably should have mentioned it in our episode. is probably the best day of the year to buy a Mac. There were some killer deals this, this last year back on Black Friday. I know a friend of mine um, got a, a, a white MacBook for, I think, $825 or $830 along with some extras. And, uh, just killer deals out there that, quite frankly, you're not going to see from Apple. Yeah, we also got an email from Jean. Jean McDonald. Hi, Jean. Yeah, she's one of my favorite people in the Mac world. She's uh, one of the folks over at Smile on My Mac, and she made a really good point about dead pixels. Yeah, this was another head-smacking moment for me. Uh, Her point was basically, we talked about testing the optical drive, we talked about testing the Ethernet, the, the USB ports, but perhaps one of the most important things that you test on a new Mac, because it's one of the most expensive pieces to replace, is the screen. And, uh, you know, certainly it's, it's fairly obvious to see if a screen is cracked or if it's, it's, you know, horribly distorted. Um, but typically screens either after a while or straight from the manufacturer will have the occasional dead or stuck pixel. And I have a beautiful 20 inch Apple cinema display that has one dead pixel. And I can probably look right at it and tell you where it is that is stuck red. And, um, you know, 95% of the time it doesn't bother me, but occasionally it just gets right in the middle of what I'm working on and, and drives me crazy. And sometimes, especially on these larger screens or now that our resolution is getting so good, 
um, these dead pixels can be hard to find. So um, there are a couple of applications out there that will kind of test for dead pixels and and what they do is um, computer screens are, are made up uh, typically of red, green, and blue lights, and it will flash red, green, and blue, and white or black, you know, all on, all off, um, on the screen so that you can see fairly easily if your screen is black but there's one tiny little red spot um, that there's something going on there. So that also definitely a good idea to uh, to test the pixels on a new Mac. And yes. I would even suggest on a new Mac that you're buying from Apple. If if you're spending significant amount of money on a new cinema display or something, I, I wouldn't walk out the store until I had them plug it in. Yeah. And uh, I think that's just good advice. Anytime you have a new computer or if you're looking to buy a used one in particular, uh, checking the pixels is a good idea. Uh, Ronald wrote in about the educational discount, which uh, we didn't talk about, but does exist yeah, although I, I think we do need to clarify, the education discount is is great. Quite frankly, I don't know how much checking Apple does on this, but I, I try to respect their policies because I think they're trying to do right by us by offering us these kinds of discounts. But the education discount is really only intended for higher education, for kids who have been accepted to college, kids are in college, or if you are an educator uh, either in K through 12 or in higher education or a faculty or staff member, just because you have a grade school age kid in your home doesn't necessarily make you eligible for the education discount. And frankly, in my experience, the education discount usually is not that much. Usually you can get a better deal going to the refurb store. Right. I, I, I found that to be true as well, or, or even from one of these third-party resellers. Langia also wrote us about uh, buying and selling a Mac. She had linked to an interesting article on Mac OS X Hints, which includes a bit of terminal mojo uh, uh, to allow you to address that problem of when you set up your account and uh, making it easy for the new person to connect. And rather than go through and try and explain it, I'm going to just link it in the uh, show notes. Yeah, one thing we talked about was was really getting the best value for your Mac and Believe it or not, there are still places where high-speed internet access is not, pre- uh, you know, as prevalent. And if you're running 10.5.9 and you've got the 10.5.0 install CD, it's not quite as bad as Windows. But if you do a complete clean reformat of your Mac and send it off to somebody, even on high-speed internet connection, they could probably be looking at an hour or more of downloading software updates. Um, and especially if they're on a slow speed connection, it's, it's practically impossible without them taking their machine somewhere. So, um, I've actually had cases where I've set up dummy accounts for people and run all the software updates and installed all the software, or I've downloaded the bigger updates to a DVD and included that with Macs that I've sold. But this is a really good idea for how you can go in, run all the updates, install all the software, and then get back out and still make your Mac look like it's, you know, brand new out of the box. Yeah. We also heard from listener Sarah about Apple Care, and she uh, educated me on something I was not aware of. Me neither. This was a great email. Yeah, so she had a problem with her Mac too, and uh, the Apple Care was kind of killed because of a, a problem that you know was not covered. And yeah, she allowed- she had some accidental damage with regards to her Mac that you know, as we've discussed, accidental damage is not covered by Apple Care. Uh, specifically, she dropped it in a rainstorm in Costa Rica. 
which sounds like a lot of fun to me. Oh, You're yeah. Drop I mean, it at least she was in Costa Rica. Costa Rica. But anyway, so she took it in and they allowed her to prorate a refund. Right, because I think in, in Sarah's case particularly, and, and we've talked about this a little bit on the show, but if you have damage to your Mac that's not covered by Apple Care, if you ever want to use the Apple Care again, even if it's on a completely unrelated problem with your Mac, you've got to get your Mac repaired fully, completely by Apple in order to be able to use your Apple Care again. And if you've got damage to your Mac that's damaging, but perhaps doesn't impact your everyday life, or you've just decided you're going to live with it, your Apple Care is pretty much useless because Apple will not repair your Mac for even a completely seemingly unrelated issue if you've got this pre-existing damage that wasn't taken care of. So, so maybe another reason refund. not to buy Apple Care in, until closer to that year mark. Yeah. I just did that for my laptop. I'm getting close to a year on it, so I finally bit the bullet. Yeah, I I bought my Apple Care this time when I bought my Mac, just because you know I had the cash in hand and was was doing it all at once, so I wouldn't have to think about it later. So hopefully that will not end up being a bad decision. You know, following up on that point, uh, Don McAllister did a post today on his blog that I thought was really uh, informative. He bought Scary. some, yeah, he bought some Apple Care through eBay and didn't realize that. Sometimes these eBay sellers don't send you the box. They just email you the code. And that's not always reliable and not always accepted by Apple. And uh, so that could be really scary. I've always bought mine through Amazon. And after reading Don's post, even if I could save a few bucks on eBay, I'm not sure if I'd be willing to take the risk to buy it there. Right. And And, and apparently there's this way that these people can sell you a legitimate copy of Apple Care. You can register it. And then they can somehow get the refund. And before you know it, you've paid them for the Apple Care. You've registered. You think everything's fine. And then you find out that you don't have coverage. Yeah. So I would probably just buy it through Amazon or through the Apple Store. Oh, yeah. And I've bought mine from Apple authorized resellers before. I think you're probably pretty safe doing that. So I, we had a lot of comments. I think uh, this was a good episode. I'm glad I got to give uh, Scrivener another run and hopefully didn't bore everyone you know, to death. And hey, if we did, you know, there's another show coming up right after this. You bet. Okay, let's talk about how people contact us. Sure. If you want to email us, you can send an email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And that goes to both of us. So you may get a reply from one or the other or possibly both, but that's the best way to reach us. Uh, We are also on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacPowerUsers. We're getting quite a following over there. Yeah, we are. And also, we've had some hubbub on Twitter over the uh, Mac Power Users uh, merchandise. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Uh, in case you hadn't noticed, we do have a Cafe Press store where you can find some cool Mac Power Users gear. We've completely got to give props to Darian Rolf, who did our, our logo, for doing such a cool design that people actually want to buy stuff that has this logo on it. Yeah, Darian's over at MacWingNet.com and... He's a pretty awesome graphic designer. I think he's done logos for most of the uh, Mac uh, podcasters out there. Yeah. So um, if you go to our website, there's a link or cafepress.com slash users, And there are a couple of different designs. Some of the things say Mac Power user, as in, you know, I am a Mac Power user. And some of the things have the more standard Mac Power users logo for the store. But um, pretty cool. And I got to say the coffee cups look awesome. Yeah, I'm thinking I might uh, buy a couple of the coffee cups and just bring them to Macworld so we can give away to some of the people that come to our we show. We may have some so swag some... at Macworld. That's a good idea. 
And we should mention that we are podcasting live at Macworld this year, which is uh, quite an honor and a privilege, especially considering some of the talent that they've got podcasting. I don't know how we got our foot in the door. We are going to be podcasting on the show floor February 13th at 2.45. So be there or be square. Yeah, if you're at Macworld, this is not to be missed. And we're going to do something fun. We haven't got it all planned out yet. but we're really We don't know fun. what yet, but it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to having some of the listeners uh, there in the audience. Maybe we can involve them in the show. Also, uh, a month from now, two shows from now, we're going to have uh, Paul Kent back if everything works out. And uh, Paul Kent is the president of Macworld. He's the guy who makes it all happen. We've had him here before. And I would like the listeners to send in their questions for Paul. The focus of his second session with us will be about all the fun things at Macworld. We're going to talk about the little known stuff because by then your room reservations are going to be made. We're only a month out and uh, we want to do this one just for the attendees. Uh, It's not going to be the entire show. It's just going to be a portion at the end like last time, but send in your questions so we can get Paul involved and tell us your favorite tips and your favorite hangouts from Macworld. Cool. All right, David. Well, as always, it's been fun and I think we've gone on longer than I thought we would. So until next time, we'll talk about all about information managers. See you then.